1: Yes, it
0: is indeed. Time for parenting. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Good afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon. Uh, Now, first question is this. My four-year-old is due to start school in September. She will be five in December. Her play school said she's not ready and she was recently diagnosed with sensory issues. I don't know where to turn or what to do. Where do I turn for advice? Should I send her to school? I feel another year in play school could hold her back.
1: Oh, I think this is such a relatable one at this yeah, time of year. Yeah. There are so many parents doing this dance, Will We Won't We, um, particularly for those um, often at this time of year called awkward birthdays. You know, the ones yes. that don't fall <laughs> neatly into they must go. Uh, you know, and once a child is in school for, you know, by the time they're six, that is enough time to be in school. So in terms of, you know, are you holding her back? That really jumps out at me as an interesting question. Because what, what, from what? Like, mm, what is the yeah. fear about holding her back? Generally, when it comes To readiness for school, parental instinct is the best one to follow. Trust your gut, but your preschool teachers are experts in this area. Yeah, they yeah. prepare children for school every single year and they know the difference between readiness and who would benefit from an extra year. So I would certainly be paying attention to that. The fact that you say she was recently diagnosed with sensory issues is another thing that's flagging for me that she may well benefit from an additional year to work on those sensory issues, not that they're going to go away, but to work on strengthen her in mastering those and in coping with those so that she's not learning that while in school when there's so much challenge and change going on already. I mean, generally, Sean, I would say if in doubt, wait a year. Yeah. If there's yeah. even a question, wait, because the difference between being four and five years old starting can be huge. You know, waiting a year now is only going to mean she is more ready Next year, whereas starting yeah. her too early could give her a little struggle that will last a cup a number of years before she catches up, so for me, this one, I would be saying, hold back. Give her another year. She is not going to miss out on anything. There's nothing in play school that's holding her back. Quite the opposite. She's going to have a lovely year of further learning through play. That is exactly where children need to be. They gain so much through play and interacting with peers. And you'll see a very different child in in a year from now.
0: Yeah, I, 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 maybe there could be a factor that you know a lot of her, her peers in the play school sure. are going, and so she'd be in with that cohort, and that would make that transition and easier. And also
1: to be realistic, you know, there could be a cost implication oh, as absolutely. well, and I don't want to yeah. minimise that because that's not insignificant for yeah, many that's of us. You know, thinking mortgage. about yeah. that exactly that if her two, you know, um, supported Eki preschool years are yeah. finished, this is another consideration. Mm. But, it, you know, so that's why I think it's ultimately has to be a parental decision because there are multiple variables. But if the decision or the question here, as I'm reading it is, is should she go now based on age? Age is just one variable in a child's readiness to start school. Mm. I really think their emotional readiness should be the deciding factor. And the fact that there is sensory issues and that it's a recent diagnosis. I just think adding yeah. that all up, I dare on the side of another year.
0: I have a three-year-old, almost actually four, uh, and she is still having a lot of meltdowns. It seems to happen in particular when I come into a room to change over from the minder after I finish work from home. And sometimes in the mornings too. I have to hide upstairs so she doesn't have a meltdown about me, not bringing her to school. There are other instances too. For example, in school they say occasionally she has outbursts where she starts crying for no reason. She's very energetic and happy most of the time in school. She's super sensitive, there is no doubt. I'm wondering if you could advise at all. I'm finding it quite upsetting as it's in particular with me that she's having the meltdowns. Oh, and we also have a (laughs) 10-month-old. I know that could be causing jealousy issues, etc. But this was definitely going on before the Baba was born.
1: It could have been bubbling, but it may have boiled over, yes, you know, yeah. with some of these extra And now things. this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly that. When When someone says, you know, they're crying for no reason, I always want to pause there and say there's always a reason. Mm. It might not be something that we believe is deserving of tears, but it doesn't mean that's your child's experience. If she's crying, there's a reason she's crying. And lo and behold, the next line is she's super sensitive. There's your reason.
0: Yeah. She's <laughs> feeling things, you know,
1: deeply. So I the reason I want to really emphasise that, Sean, is that if we think our kids are crying for no reason, our tendency as parents is to minimise and yeah. dismiss their emotional experiences. You've nothing to cry about. Stop crying as opposed to coming at it with, oh, you're really upset. I can sit with you in that upset and we'll work it out together. It's mm-hmm. OK, because then we can stay calm in ourselves without getting pulled into that distress, which then makes the whole thing a lot more distressing for yes. everybody involved. Um, the other piece is, you know, you have a three year old who's almost four and you're saying still having meltdowns. Now, I really wish there was a timeline when we could say (laughs) they stop (laughs) at two and a half or two and eight months or, you know, but there isn't because every child is different. And particularly when you have a sensitive child who's feeling the world a bit deeper, these kind of meltdowns are actually a statement of I'm sensory overstimulated and I do not have the emotional fluency to sit down and speak that to you. So I'm using my behaviour as a way of communicating what I cannot otherwise communicate. So she's doing exactly what i did expect her to do. I really note that the the flashpoints, let's call them that for her, are the point of separation and the point of reunification. So not unusual.
0: Yeah. OK, yeah.
1: that it's that point of saying goodbye to you. I really want you to bring me to school, but I have to say goodbye to you. I'm cross, I'm upset, I'm worried, I'm anxious, I lash out or I melt down. Then you come back. And I know as parents when we've been away from our children at work all day, what we really want is that big hug and mm. there you are <laughs> and aren't you great mm. and that validation but sometimes our children are like, mm, there you are. yeah, Back, are you? <laughs> okay, you're going to have to work for this reconnection.
0: And yeah, don't worry just, about me. I was oh, fine. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You just come when you feel like it. So it, it doesn't mean they didn't miss us. It's just a way of saying, well, in order to cope with this, I have to push you away a little bit, but I mm. do want you back. So I do think what you've got to do, think about this, is she's still very young. Okay, she doesn't have the capacity to emotionally self-regulate yet. We wouldn't remotely expect her to be doing that at three, nearly four. So you are her calm. And if that means that you're not feeling calm, then you're the one who needs to take a moment to take a breath, Mm. catch yourself, ground yourself as best you can to come back in. I also think marking that point of separation and reunification and. We've talked about this usually at the back to school time. This comes up, you know, having a special handshake, you know, doing those little hearts, drawings on wrists you know pockets full of kisses talking about being connected with that invisible string which is a useful analogy in lots of uh, stages of children's lives but even when we're not together we are connected and I'm holding you in mind and you can hold me in mind but marking that point of coming back together again by doing your you know sitting for 15 minutes to play on the floor literally joining her in whatever she's doing when you come back to her or sitting on the sofa and having a cuddle and a cartoon time but being there with her, providing that physical touch, close proximity and nurturing, that that can be enough to just say, it's okay, it's okay, we don't need to. But sometimes if we're coming down, they're upset, we're going, oh, stop, cut it out, come on, do this, do then that's not about reconnection. Yes. And yeah. it fuels the disconnected piece. So I think if you come at it that way immediately, that you just enter into her world and just you try to ground yourself coming down, there could be a way of marking this, that, you know, you do use your voice before you appear. I'm thinking, you know, if you're working upstairs or something, or even at the door, that you ring the doorbell in a particular way to say, hey, I'm coming, or you start singing a song as you're coming down the stairs. So she's hearing you before she sees you and she can anticipate, Oh, we're coming back together yeah. because time is abstract. So she can't understand. I'll be down at five o'clock.
0: It no. has to be some yeah. other way
1: of queuing her with that
0: there might be a bit of guilt involved like because oh, well, you allows, know, yeah. she has to hide upstairs you know, so know. the child can I mean the, and there's nothing awful.
1: worse than hearing yeah. your child distressed yeah. and stay, keeping removed because you know she will be fine and she will settle but I also just think that it's very hard when you're the one that's being lashed out at and you're the one yeah. who's having the meltdowns so just be aware of the impact it's having on you because I sometimes think when we're dreading that oh I'm dreading saying goodbye we might be tempted to sneak out and actually it's really important you do say goodbye to her
0: yeah my uh, 22-month-old toddler refuses to get into my new childminder's car as it is strange to him and gets very he gets very distressed. My minder has to walk him in the pram to her house, which is some distance away, as I take the bus to work and unfortunately don't drive. How can I get him to travel in the car with her? I have had the minder a month now for mornings only and my son seems happy <coughs> and relaxed otherwise. He travels in my father's car, no problems at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I have the minder a month now and it's mornings only. This is really new
0: yes, for everybody yeah, involved.
1: Yeah. So, you know, this is early days and, you know, at any kind of change and you will get resistance to change. We do it ourselves as grown-ups. Children definitely do it. You want to gently yet firmly push through that resistance. You're accepting it's difficult for him. You can empathize with that struggle. But you're going to keep trying it every day so that gradually he gets used to it. How you try it, you know, there's a couple of ways. This is a child who may not be very familiar with travelling in car seats and cars if mum doesn't drive mm. and it's her father's car sometimes and the minders. So what about bringing the car seat into the house to play with and get used to, you know, so it's yeah. sitting there, he can climb in it, you can strap in, you can, you know, role play mime, making car beeping and driving noises, you know, so that he's used to it and familiar with the concept of the clickiness, the feeling of of the straps. You can get those um, little padded wraps for the straps because they're not always comfortable feeling yeah, on a yeah. child. You know, they feel quite compressed in them. And you could maybe even get one with his favorite character, book, or cartoon character on it so that that's appealing. Also, maybe playing some music that he's familiar with in the car, but having it playing. Before you're trying to yeah. do the car wrestle, I was going to say, but I think because maybe that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Lots of us have wrestled is, and yeah. gently yet firmly, let's call it persuaded children into yeah. car seats. But using things like that, having particular toys that are only in the car that aren't in the house, that don't come anywhere else. But there's a particular animal or car or train or truck or dino or whatever it is that lives in the car seat and he gets it when he sits in the car. And he can hold those in his hands while you're strapping him in. And it's about fluid movement, fluid and quick movement with that. So I think there's a couple of things that you could do, but I would say it's early days. Don't keep giving in because tempting as it is, and I get it. But if he learns that the protest is a very effective form of communication, it won't stop. Yeah, It's actually reinforcing to him that resistance, protesting, kicking, screaming means I get this lovely long walk in the buggy, then great. But if that doesn't suit the minder or anybody else and it needs to be the car, stick with the car and just push through it.
0: Yeah. Somebody's texting in to ask, could you recommend a book on puberty with rather a localish Irish UK focused rather Mm. than a US one? Son is currently 11.
1: I have a few. Let me put, do you know what? I'll actually post a couple of those on Instagram stories later on um, because there are a few. I I just want to, because there's a localish question, I want to just see where they're from. okay.
0: Uh, right, my nine-year-old daughter, oldest of three, has recently talked to me about worries that she has. Her description of the feeling was, I keep feeling I need to tell you every little thing. Like if I do something wrong and I know it's it's not that big a deal, or if I have a small pain, I feel I have to tell you about everything. It comes into my head and I look at you and I feel bad that you're walking around and you don't know. I know that I don't need to tell you all these things, but it feels like my body and head are making me think I need to. Here's a list of things that have bothered her in the last week or so. She corrected her brother. She felt bad that she didn't like how a little girl looked in a dirty swimsuit. She worried about visiting a friend as she felt something bad might happen as the friend can sometimes freeze her out for no apparent reason. Normal enough stuff for her age, but she seems to be extremely sensitive mm-hmm. as to how she feels or how they are bothering her. I'm delighted she's able to talk to me about it, but I really struggle with how to effectively deal with it. I've done the chat about how all these feelings are totally normal and they come and go. We come up with a code word mm-hmm. for when she feels a need to tell me some, uh, something, but knows it's not necessary to tell me. And she has a the choice then to tell it or say goodbye to it. Also, I don't know if it's linked, but over the last few months, she has taken to holding my hand again when we're out and about, which she had totally stopped.
1: Oh, the poor little thing. Yeah, and it's so the fact that this is recent and it's a marked sudden behavioural change. You know, the hand holding again, the return mm. of that and this, you know, compulsion that I'm I, I know intelligently, I know I don't need to tell you, but I'm compelled to tell you. Mm. And I'm wondering, you know, if this parent could go through any potential triggers that would explain this sudden behavior change and think like a nine-year-old. Yeah. OK, not like an adult. <laughs> so something that could have just changed for her. Um, what you're doing is great. You know that you've got the code word, you, you know, you're facilitating her coming to you, you're structuring it, you're with the code word. What's good about that is you're asking her to contain that urge and to see if she can manage it. And then if she still really needs to tell you, she can. So that's a very good way to come at it. I mean, there's a couple of products, you know, out there that are really nice. And again, you know, you know, do you remember, I remember, um, I'm sure loads of people do, uh, Guatemalan worry dolls. You know, those little matchstick yeah, yeah. dolls, I'm going to call them, with bits of cloth around them. And the idea was they were tiny. You could whisper, there was five, I think, in a box. So you had, it gave you kind of a max of five worries to be dealing with on a day. But you could whisper your worry to the doll and put them under your pillow. And they would, the idea being, they would worry about your worry so you could have a night's sleep. But, you know, from that, you know, there's a, a lovely a product as well is suitable for this age, especially sensitive kids called fairyell.ie Well, fairyell.ie is the website, but Fairy L. It's a two-sided doll that you can flip over. And again, the idea is that the doll sleeps during the day so the sleepy face is up and at night you flip it so that she's awake and she keeps everything sorted so you can have a nice relaxing sleep and you, of course you could use that during the day as well. That the, you know, mm. Something like that can be a container for these worries. I know the Irish fairy door do a handprint thing as well that glows for worries. There's lots of things like that but you could also do something else that involves her because she's nine and it's something you do at home. Just get a shoebox and you can wrap it, decorate it, involve her in that and cut a slot so that it's a post box and, you know, make sure there's a stack of post-its and a pen and she can write down her worries, fold them over and post them. Yes, And at the end of every day, you can sit together and take you decide arbitrary number now, but you decide two or three worries are just randomly selected and you sit and you think and you talk and reflect on them. And the idea is that the learning she gets from whatever worries you select will carry forward to helping her with worry in general. But it's just something easy that you can do at home with, you know, Mm. a shoebox scissors, paper, a little bit of glitter and all of that and you could work it out that way. But I would keep doing, um, keep her talking, keep talking to her, a lot of sensory play. If this continued or further escalated, it might be worth consulting with somebody who can offer you some, you know, play-based therapy, psychotherapy Mm. for children um, just in case there is a trigger that we're not quite aware of.
0: The the need to tell the parent every single thing, that that, that sounds like It's that compulsion
1: that I'd be interested in. So, you see, if there's something Something tangible, Sean, like if something has happened, then we could see something like this, and then it will, you know, you stick with her, you work it through, and as the situation lowers, so too does the associated anxiety that's triggered. But some children will need a little bit more. Because this parent is already doing so much, I'm just offering maybe one or two extra things you could do mm. but if this further escalated I'd consider going to somebody who can help you both with it.
0: Yeah, because the code word and everything. It, there's a whole lot happening really, already. It's yeah. being
1: handled really well. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, they uh, comment just on on the um, four-year-old and whether or not to send the four-year-old into junior infants. Uh, one Texas says I totally agree with Joanna in relation to starting kid in school. I had two with June birthdays. Mm. My girl started at four and got on great until Third year where her peers were much more ready for drink and romance than she was. I assume you mean this third year in in secondary school (laughs) Uh, and much more ready for drink and romance Mm -hmm. than she was. I started my son when he was just four and we are paying the price now in first year. Uh, He is a bit immature in making it really hard now academically. It's later in secondary school that starting them early comes back to bite you. I would trust the play school teachers. That's probably true. Yeah, it is.
1: And you see, some children are ready, you know, like for like if we we can't just go with chronological age. And just as there are studies to say they should wait, there are studies that say they do okay with Mm. the diversity of age in the classroom. But it very much is. I agree with that parent. It's not about being four in junior infants. It's about being 14 in third year. Yes. And that's when you really do see those decisions play out. And if that's the case, you might be parenting in a way that you have to I suppose, do a little bit more in those yeah, um, teenage yeah. years than the kids who are a bit older, a bit more savvy, a bit more able to handle things. But again, no two children are the same. So, you know, your own parental instinct on your children is very important. Mm. But if you've asked your preschool teachers, do listen to them.
0: Yeah. Joanna, thanks a million Thank as you. ever. Uh, a rock of sense. Joanna Fortune, there you are, listening to The Moncrief Show on So We're going to take a break. After that, the most hated man on the internet.